I just praise you, and I'm so grateful to be here um, with my family. I just pray that you would be present for us and that we would feel you here um, and that your words would penetrate our hearts, Lord. Thank you so much for this day, and uh, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Branch, it's so good to be back with you guys. Oh, so good to see many familiar faces and some new faces as well. If you don't know who I am, I'm Michael Bischoff. Um, I've been with you many times over many years. Boog and I have probably been friends for seven years or so, something like that. Um, I knew Boog pre-New Lungs and was with Boog in the hospital when he almost died and all of that tragedy that went through so many years that many of you walked through with him. And uh, it really bonded, I think, our friendship as well. Consider just Boog a dear friend. So, yeah, I get to play second string here when he's not around, and I get to come and be with you. But what a great Sunday to be with you all. Your second Sunday here morning, like, right, coming, coming back. This is, so, this is my first Sunday preaching live anywhere, which is really cool. So this will be a good memory in my heart as I think about all of this coming back from all of the weirdnesses uh, that has been the last year plus. But to be with you on this Sunday is just huge. I'm going to stick this down, if that's okay. Just because I can't see you. Um, much better. Okay, now i got the full spectrum of people. I like to be able to do that. This is a significant Sunday, too, as well. Um, do you guys know what it is? Thank you. It's Pentecost Sunday, right? And many people don't know what Pentecost Sunday is. It's one of those, like, tiny holidays that might or might not be on your calendar. But, right, we know it as the time that the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples. It was already a Jewish holiday that was celebrated after Passover, but then the Holy Spirit comes and descends, and some would even view it as the birthday of the church as we know it today. So it is a significant Sunday to be here with you on Pentecost Sunday, and it's really a blessing to be able to hang out with you because, guys, it's weird everywhere. Um, it just is, right? I mean, like I said, it's my first Sunday back here, but in January, I got to go to Idaho and hang out with the church. Uh, COVID didn't exist in Idaho. Um, we, January, everybody was eating out and doing stuff. And I mean, literally, it was like so weird. Last month, I was in uh, Indiana, Miss, Minnesota, and Michigan. And COVID didn't seem to exist there, even though like Michigan was like the highest state imaginable. But it's so weird because California, we know it's been tough. It's been, it's been a ride. And thankfully, you're all here today. So uh, my wife and I had COVID in November. We journeyed through that deal, and we made it through fine. Um, I'm still, like, kind to figure out what the long-term effects are. A couple months ago, I started having heart palpitations, and 30 to 40% of people, they say, that have had COVID have some heart-related issues. I don't know. Maybe it's just all the stress of the last year and a half that's causing it. But so far, all my tests are going good. But I'm wearing a heart monitor right now. So for two weeks, I wear one of these little wireless things. And you push a button every time, like, you feel your heart do something. So if you see me pushing a lot during the service, you might want to come up and ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> Make sure everything's okay. So far, so good. Hasn't done it once. But no, actually, my EKG went good. I had an echo test and a stress echo test, and everything's been great. So it's just these weirdnesses that many of us will live with for years to come. I think we're about to experience a massive wave of grief. Um, and this is just not mine. I've been trying to research and study and read. I have a ministry called Soul Leader Resources. For those of you who don't know, we work with churches and pastors all over the place. So I try to be helpful to those churches and those places. And I just experienced, like, I, I kept a list last year, a running list of all the losses and griefs that we went through. 
And that was our Christmas letter that we sent out. It was like, here's what we, how was your year? Here was ours, loss, 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 loss. I mean, we laugh at it now, but it's seriously, in most of our lives, there was a ton of loss. And we don't know how to deal with that. In fact, it's what psychologists call complex trauma, when you have so many losses that the brain doesn't even know what to do with them. So I say that not to like be a big negative guy. I say that so you could realize that when you're feeling something, that's okay. Your body and your mind and your brain, and we don't know how to deal with these things well. And now we're in this place of coming back again. And I think that's going to be so good for our soul to be with friends, to be with family, to be in relationship again. But just know it's going to be different. It's going to be strange at times. It's going to be weird. And that's okay. Okay? So if you start experiencing things or you see me pushing my button, just know this is how we come back. This is how we recover from one of the biggest deals that have taken place in our lifetime with so many things. So yeah, Pentecost Sunday, it's a good thing to be together on Pentecost Sunday. Um, about a week and a half ago, I opened one of my emails and uh, it was from uh, a cryptocurrency company that my, my son is totally, he's a computer programmer. So he totally got me into cryptocurrency. I'm just curious, any of you guys into crypto? Just see, I see a hand back there. A couple of you, okay, playing with it. Yeah, we know how this is so speculative. It's like, it's not real money. It's not even as real as like monopoly money, right? It's just, it's out there in the thing. So my son was like so excited. So now for like a birthday gift, he'll give me like $50 of cryptocurrency. That's my birthday gift. Like, here, Dad, you know, it's going to be worth something someday, maybe, right? So it's so funny, but he got me into it, so put a little bit money into it just to watch it, you know? I don't even put money in slot machines in Las Vegas. I just don't do that. So it's so weird. But he did this, so... You know, he gets excited about it when it goes up and, and he holds on when it goes down. And, you know, you know, it's just this weird virtual money that one day we'll probably all be using. But um, I thought this email was cool because it said, you got a bonus because you made a little transfer. You made a little deposit so you get a bonus. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I get excited when we get a bonus. So I opened my account and it came up on the screen. And on the screen, it said that my assets in my cryptocurrency account were $550,000. And uh, I have not put $550,000 in that account. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And then I realized, I got, so it said I have a, um, my, my, my bonus was 11.25. Well, what I realized was it was supposed to be $11.25. What they gave me was 11.25 Bitcoin, which a week and a half ago, it's gone down now, but a week and a half ago was worth $550,000. So I call my son and I'm like, how do we set up an offshore account somewhere? <laughs> because something just went really wrong, but it's okay. Um, like, I mean, we could probably get good lawyers with this amount of money and set up an offshore account and like maybe get a boat somewhere. I don't know. I mean, it was just a weird few moments. And he's like, dad, it's a mistake. They're just going to reverse it. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. But then we finally realized, you know, they made a mistake and gave me Bitcoin instead of USD. And yeah. So I was rich last week for a short period of time. But what I realized um, is that some currencies have far more potential than others, right? Obviously, USD, 11.25, not so excited about that. Bitcoin, 11.25, really excited about that. It's a different currency, right? And that caused me to think about the currencies that we work in right now or that we spend our time in. And it made me ask the question, what currencies are churches investing in? What currencies are we as followers of Jesus like investing in right now? Like, like where are we putting our 
money, if you will, figuratively speaking. What does that look like? You know, so many, and I work with so many churches all over, and I know we're trying to get back to normal, whatever that is. We're getting, some are trying to get people back in the buildings now that it's okay to start doing that. Some of us are just figuring out what does it mean to defend the pole that we found ourselves in because churches have become so polarized during this time. And whereas churches were previously unified, now people are spread out all over the place. And there's a lot of stress about that. Um, in other churches, it's churches trying to convince themselves they really do love people of color or that they don't struggle with white supremacy or white privilege or all these things. These are real issues in so many churches all over the place around the country. Have you ever realized though, that Jesus has an incredibly different currency? If we just we use analogy a little bit. A totally different currency than was used in his day and a very different currency than it's used in our day. I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about the way Jesus approached things, okay? And so this is really significant. So we're in this series here at Branches where Boog's been taking just the words of Jesus, some short words of Jesus. And I wanted us to jump into a passage that I've, I've wanted to do a message on for a long time, and I never have. So I've got some thoughts and ideas about it. I don't know how it's going to come out, but I thought it could be really significant for us as we think about how do we approach what's next, what's coming in the days ahead. So if you got your Bible and you want to turn there, it's Matthew 23, uh, verses 1 to 4. And um, I think it's just a really interesting passage. It's the last sermon that probably Jesus gave, uh, which is kind of significant, I think. So like if Jesus is going to say something, boy, this is his last shot at it. Um, and I think that's pretty significant. So Matthew 23, we'll just look at the first four verses and then really hone in on verse 4 in terms of what he's going to say here. So I'm just going to read it kind of phrase by phrase, and, and we'll see what it has for us. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. And I like that because notice Jesus didn't have like a little Christian click going on. It wasn't just the disciples. The crowds were always like right there, right? They were hanging out, waiting to hear what this incredible teacher, this incredible Jewish rabbi had to say. And they were right there. And so he was always talking to both. That's significant because I think even as churches, we can tend to pull away sometimes and forget there are a whole lot of people just on the outskirts of our group. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe you do something at your house, but there's a whole bunch of neighbors that could be really cool if they were hanging out with you as well. Maybe it's at your workplace and you've got like one Christian friend, but there's a whole bunch of other people that would really benefit from being part of your discussions, whatever those are. Does that make sense? So maybe we need to think like more open-minded, more inclusive in terms of who those people are that we're even hanging out in our casual everyday discussion with. Jesus did that. That was his currency. Verse two, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses's seat. Now, these are like the scholars, okay? The teachers of the law were literally like the the Jewish scholars of the time, okay? They were professionally trained in the teaching and the application of the Old Testament law. The Pharisees were more of the separatistic group that focused in on its interpretation, okay? But I find it fascinating that here Jesus hones in once again, and literally this whole chapter, we're not going to look at the whole chapter, but if you want to read it later, Matthew 23 is known as the seven woes. Or if you were to translate that word woe, many translators would say, you could probably translate the woe to you, woe to you, woe to you that Jesus says seven times at the second part of this chapter as damn you. 
damn you, religious leaders. Different currency. Kind of interesting. Jesus is very harsh. He's very sensitive with people that don't know God, don't walk with God, um, are broken, are hurting, are lost, are lonely. He has such sensitivity and compassion. But for the religious leaders, he's really direct. Very truthful, very truth-telling. So that's in the rest of this chapter. We're not going to deal with all those damn yous. Like, Jesus really said that? Yeah, he, he did. I mean, it sounds harsh, and I don't mean to, like, be crass about it. I just mean to say Jesus knew how to bring love and grace to those that needed it, and he knew when people were playing around in ways that they shouldn't be probably playing around. And he says, so verse 2, teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What is that? So they, they basically say, you know, Moses, Old Testament, right, went up on the mountain, got the tablets, came back down, did all the Moses stuff, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, amazing stuff that, that happened there. But now there's this seat of authority that Moses created, and literally these religious leaders are putting themselves in that place. So they're kind of saying, hey, we've got the same authority that Moses had. That's significant. I think in the days we're living in right now, we're seeing something happening. There are a lot of spiritual leaders, let's just say pastors and such, who are coming at things with incredible authority, which to me often looks more like authoritarianism. Because in a time of confusion, like we've walked through the last year and a half, our heart is just searching for clarity. Tell me, tell me what to do, please. I need a leader that'll just give me clarity. And there has been no clarity, right? It's been confusion and it continues to be confusing. And so in the midst of that, we just want someone to tell us what to do. So when a leader comes along and you realize you can do that, you can tell someone what to do and they'll follow, that's a huge temptation. Let me tell you, I've been in that place, right? I mean, I went to seminary. I went to school for 27 years. That's just the nerdy golden pocket protector award is what I like to call it, okay? I can figure out how to use my knowledge if I want and try to make people jump through hoops and tell them and make me look really important. But Jesus didn't do that. He never did that. Jesus was God and he didn't do that. So I think we need to be very aware that in our times, in the upcoming days, there's going to be a bunch of leaders that are just going to say, this is the truth, go this way. But I think we need to be very wise and be careful. Um, that's why I appreciate the humility of someone like my brother, Book. You know, he's not here so I can brag on him. Um, or the humility of a church like Branches that have been like, you know, this is my fifth venue I've been in with Branches. Sixth, if you count the online. You guys are just, if you can find Branches, you can worship with us, right? If you can, if you can just do that. But you guys are just a group of people that are like, I just want to, I just want to love people, be with each other, love Jesus, and figure out how to, you know, yeah, help others see the kingdom of God. This is a good thing. But be I think we all need to be cautious of what we're going to see in the upcoming days, of too many people that might say, this is the truth, that is not. Does that make sense? Just be wise, just be careful. Um, and so, yeah, these, these religious leaders put themselves, like it says, in the seat of Moses, and then it goes on in verse 3. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. In other words, if they were faithfully telling what Moses had said to do, what was in the Old Testament law, that's good. Jesus said do it. That's important. But then it turns right here. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Ouch. Right? So do what they tell you to do, as long as it's consistent with what, you know, the Bible had said, what Old Testament Jewish scriptures had said, that's good. But if you look at their lives, 
don't do what they do. Do you feel that? These are the religious leaders of the day. And I think this is significant in our day as well. Um, I get daily updates from like the journalism world out there of what's going on in the greater church evangelical world. It's falling apart right now. Now, here's the good news. The kingdom of God is not falling apart, right? God's not going, oh my gosh, how do I glue this thing back together? It's such a mess. But the church as we've known it today is literally crumbling in many ways. That doesn't make me nervous, though, because I know the kingdom of God is not falling apart, and God's not falling apart, and God's not all frustrated about that. But at the same time, I know that there are a bunch of people that are doing things in ways that aren't part of Jesus' currency. Let's just put it that way. Verse 4, and here's where we really want to hone in, because I know it's supposed to be a simple verse, and if you want to remember one, here's the one I want you to remember. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. If this sermon has a title, I just want to call it Loads. Loads. Yeah. These religious leaders were tying up these loads and putting them on other people's shoulders that it says, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, this is huge, right? This is just a huge deal. Because Jesus had said in Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 to 30, if you're looking at your Bible, you can go ahead and flip back there for a minute. I'll try to do this too. I got too many things going on holding this, so I'm going to use two stands and a, another stand and a throne up here. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, because this is significant. It's a really well-known section. But I think this is significant because here's the currency that Jesus was working from, okay? Verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We can relate to this in 2021 right now, right? And I will give you, what's the word? Rest. Such a good word, rest. Take my yoke upon you, which from a rabbi was really a rabbi's teaching when he refers to that, right? It has, it has that analogy of a yoke that oxen would use and stuff, but when a Jewish rabbi used it, it was about the things that rabbi would teach. Take my yoke or my teachings upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Don't you just want to go, oh, that sounds so good right now. I, I just... I just need that. Jesus then ends it, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you feel that contrast with what the teachers of the time were doing? Okay, loads, easy. Burdensome, rest. So good. That's the currency of the Jesus we know, right? This is why this is so exciting to me about what does it look like to live right now? Because there is a way, I think, that we can live as followers of Jesus and make a huge difference. And I think this helps me know and helps point that out. In fact, this is a theme throughout Scripture. I mean, you might not see it very much, and we won't look at all the passages, but if, if you want it, you're taking notes or anything. Acts 15.10 at the Jerusalem Council they deal with this same issue again. In fact, it's a short verse, I'll, I'll read it, but Acts 15.10, it's probably significant to look at here. And it says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, here's that word again, that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
It was a pattern even back then where leaders would take something that they thought was important. In the Bible, it was often an old teaching like circumcision, okay, which is really a weird deal that they would, you know, something like circumcision. It, it's amazing to me how much the Bible talks about penises. Um, you know, it's just strange. But back then, that was a significant deal because circumcision is this act, right, that was very it was a religious ritual back then. We can't relate to that, so I think sometimes we read these scriptures and we just kind of throw them out because we don't, don't understand it. So maybe when you see circumcision, replace it with something in your mind at least, like baptism. Something we do today that we understand, right? Someone comes into God, stick them under the water, they're baptized as a sign. Circumcision was that kind of sign. But people were making such a big deal about it. And the, the message is don't make such a big deal about something that God didn't make such a big deal about. It had its purpose, it's a symbol, it's a sign, but don't make such a big deal about it, okay? Let me go one other place because I think it's important. Galatians 6. So if you're flipping around or whatever, this is a really significant place to go. Galatians 6, and I love this passage because once again, we come to this whole deal of loads. And what does that look like? Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I love that verse because often people don't do that well, right? If someone falls or they stray or they whatever, we're really harsh in the way we come at them. And yet the Bible tells us, boy, when someone's like straight, be gentle. Look to restore them, bring them back in and just be gentle. Watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. We're all human, right? But um, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Now, here's this concept again, right, of this load or this burden. The word there in the original language is the concept of a boulder. You're carrying a boulder sometimes. I told you, I, me and our family have experienced a lot of losses this last year. Some of those felt like boulders. And when someone is a boulder, you can't pick it up. Right? I've got a rock in my backyard that I like this rock, but I cannot move that thing by myself. I need two or three people to move this rock. Our lives are a lot like that. We have things that go on in our lives that you cannot move by yourself. You need someone else to help you carry it. That's what community is about. That's what fellowship is about. That's what a church is about, being able to help each other when you go through that. We just went through a year of boulders where we need each other to be able to carry that, right? In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ when you help each other carry the stressful things. Verse 3, if anyone thinks there is something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And then catch verse 5. For each one should carry their own load. Like, what? I, how do, that doesn't make sense. Wait, we're supposed to carry each other's loads. Well, that verse I told you, carry each other's loads, that word for load was boulder, right? Something big. This one is each one should carry his own load. That's a word like backpack. The thing that you're supposed to be carrying. That's your responsibility. Okay? In other words, be responsible. Don't expect people to do things for you that you're supposed to be doing for them. For, that you're supposed to be doing for yourself. Does that make sense? So back to this concept of load. It's not that we don't have responsibilities personally. We do. But when our load gets so big, help each other. And at the same time, religious leaders, make sure that you're not putting loads on people that they were never meant to bear. And I think we're living in a time when we are seeing that happen over and over and over again. 
by loads. Let me just play with this a little bit, just practically speaking, if we were to think about some like application, how we do this. First, how, to, how might we do that with ourselves? Putting loads on ourselves, okay? For me, as I thought about that this week, I'm thinking, how do, how do I put a load on myself? I'm pretty perfectionistic. I want things to be a certain way, right? I'm a perfectionist. I don't like that in me, but I know it's part of my personality. I compare myself with other people. I'm like, yeah, Michael, it's not good enough because they do X, Y, Z. They do something better. Um, there's a sense of shame or guilt sometimes that we might put on ourselves. Any of you think of any other examples? I'd love to get some interaction. This feels like we're like in a family room just hanging out together. I'd love it. Any of you think about a way that you'd be willing to share that you put a burden on yourself? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not godly enough, right? You put a standard on you that God's not even putting on you. Anything else come to mind of how you might do it? Too serious. Too serious. Thank you. Yeah. Please. Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you. The guilt that we can feel, that God doesn't want us to feel, but we're really good, right? Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And we have a way to just do that to ourselves. A lot of ways we do that to ourselves. So maybe a lesson from today is check yourself and see, are you putting loads on yourself that Jesus does not want you to put on yourself, right? That you're supposed to, you know, you, know, you need other people to carry all of these negative things like, like shame and guilt that we're not meant to be able to carry or, or shouldn't be carrying, those are loads we can put on ourselves. A second one, we receive loads from others. We receive loads from others, and sometimes we take them on. I remember a time when I was considering a vocational transition. I'm through a really difficult time, and uh, I was going to look for a new job um, out there. And I met with a former youth pastor, someone I loved and respected. And we were at a Carl's Jr. I can picture the place was in Huntington Beach. I know exactly where it was. And he met with me, and he listened to my story, and I kind of just poured out my heart of all the difficulties I had gone through that year. And he looked at me, and he goes, so what are you going to go do, sell insurance? That felt good. But I've remembered it to this day 35 years later. It's a long time ago. Um, I took on a load from him, and that wasn't something that I should have done. It wasn't what I needed at the time either. I've shared my story many times with Branch's family about going through eight months of clinical depression many years ago and the tough time that that was in my life. When I was going through that time of eight months of not wanting to wake up in the morning because I was had to face the day, didn't want to go to bed at night because it was so dark, I literally would order pizza at about 12 midnight at a place that would deliver pizza till like 1 or 2 a.m. So I would eat pizza so I wouldn't have to go to sleep because if I went to sleep, I'd have to wake up the next day. Now, I wasn't suicidal, but it was pretty dark for eight long months. I met with a pastor, and the pastor looked at me, and they said, I don't know if it's ever justifiable for a Christian to be depressed. So now I had depression and guilt, right? And I've shared even more of that story here with you guys in, in other talks, but um, that was a load that I received from somebody else. I still remember it this day many, many years later. Um, when my wife and I were in premarital counseling, at this big church that we went to at the time. And we were like so excited to be getting married. And we was, you know, it was just a few times away. But the pastor that was gonna do our wedding looked at us and he said, if you guys screw up in one way, I am not gonna do your wedding. What is that? What the heck does that mean? That is a load, okay? 
I think we probably did screw up. And next month we'll be married 36 years in a wonderful wedding, right? But that, that was a load that I didn't need to hear, and it, wasn't, it was not helpful. It was not the way Jesus dealt with people. That's, that's what I know that to be. So, yeah, we put loads on ourselves. We receive loads from others. But let's be cautious, too, about what does it mean when we might put loads on others? What does it mean to put loads on others? Again, I know I've got a great time because when you do what I do and you get to speak to people and, and kind of mentor people and coach people and all the things that I do, um, I could be really good at manipulating and figure out a way to make people do something. That I now know is a great definition of narcissism or at least a narcissistic leader. When you do something for your own ends in order to validate yourself as good, that's the definition of a narcissistic leader. Beware, beware. And so I, I've seen that happen a lot today. And I think we are ripe. The soil has been cultivated for many, many powerful, authoritarian, narcissistic kind of leaders to come in and try to lead us out of this post-pandemic world that we've lived in now for a year and a half. Be careful. Be careful and watch and be sure that you're not one of those people, okay, that are, that are looking for the weaknesses in others or the subtleties or the ways you can kind of get, kind of get it in or something like that. Um, many of us have like a prohibitive guilt conscience, right? I already shared, I, I know I feel guilty about things and we can figure out ways to make people guilty about things by put, putting loads on others. Um, we can use authority in hurtful ways. Um, any other idea? I just, you know, maybe you don't have any ideas, but if you do, any thoughts come to mind about ways that you know could be a temptation in the upcoming months of putting loads on other people? Either ones that you might be susceptible to or ones you think other people might be susceptible to that you'd be willing to share? And if not, it's just a homework assignment to think about, but I'd love if you've got any thoughts about it. Please. <sighs> yes, the social media era. Yep. Right. Right. Yep. Totally. Yeah. 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 How many of you have been flamed or canceled this year on social media in some way by friends? And I, I have. Yeah. I totally have. And it's, it's hurtful uh, what's going on in that world. We really have to be careful out there. Yes. 
है सो वेल सैड सो वेल सैड आई मीन दैट्स एग्जैक्टली वट आई वॉन्ट दिस मैसेज टू डू इन अस इज टू रियलाइज दैट इट्स नॉट जस्ट अबाउट गेटिंग पीपल बैक इन अ बिल्डिंग और गेटिंग टू शो अप एट अ सर्टन टाइम फॉर समथिंग दैट लिटरली जीजस फॉलोअर्स टू डे हैव एन ऑपरचुनिटी टू शो लव एवरीवेयर वी गो एंड वी नीड इट मोर देन एवर I think we're at places where our souls are just hungering for relationship and for love in ways that we have not needed it like this in, you know, I mean I I could say in our lifetimes and that's such a perfect opportunity. Our culture has such incredible anxiety, reactivity, fear, anger, self-protection right now because of what we have walked through in the last year and a half. And we're at a place where we have an amazing opportunity to lighten people's loads. not burden them with more loads right and sometimes just even an something as simple as an invitation hey do you want to come to church with me could feel like a load but hey you know hey is there a way that you know do you have a need um can i pray for you in some way you want to just come over for dinner something very practical that begins to take steps to show love will lighten someone's load that's exactly what we're talking about here so let's look for ways um you know instead and christians are really good at this instead of hitting people with a flashlight use the flashlight to shine it so they can see the light think about that a little bit um tell people you appreciate them we can put our thoughts into words and i know many of us you know some of us are a little more shy a little more introverted and it's harder to do that but it's amazing to me when you say to someone you matter i love you i appreciate you thank you for blank whatever it is what it does to lift people up look for ways to affirm people encourage people find a need and meet it in fact one of the best ways to do it is the gift of secrecy maybe you're going to do it and meet it and don't even tell anybody just do it look for the needs around you and then look for ways to start meeting those needs here's a real simple one listen listen we all have stories to share right now we're coming out of a time where we have so much going on and many of us just need to be listened to and we haven't been able to sit with someone we've only been able to have phone or look at a screen or text or email or all these things and now we can be once again hopefully face to face and you can listen and when you listen look in each other's eyes and don't listen to fix just listen to be a present loving person right there and touch right i mean we haven't been able to touch whole much you know each other kim greeted me this morning and it was like you know do, do you hug do you not hug or you know what's pack is it okay side hug you know t- virtual we've been doing virtual hugs for so long it's like now it's okay maybe to put an arm on a shoulder hopefully shake a hand may ask permission give a hug or whatever obviously we want to be careful and cautious and respect people's boundaries and you know etc but what does it look like to reenter in these ways ask yourself what goodness might be applied here i like to think of it as a sense of goodness um there's a book that was just written called a church called tov t o v it's a hebrew word for good in the new, in the in, in the genesis 1 when you see and god created and it was good and god created and it was good and god created and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was very good that's the word tov and scott mcnight just wrote a book him and his daughter wrote a book called a church called tov which is about how does a church now live into that kind of goodness i love that concept because literally we can just ask what goodness can be done here right in front of me wherever you find yourself later on today 
if you're going out to lunch somewhere or you're meeting with someone, what goodness can be done here? If you're talking with someone, what goodness can be done here? Tomorrow at work, however you find yourself working and interacting with people, what goodness can be done here? Does that make sense? Look for ways goodness can be done. John Wesley, uh, founder of the Methodist movement, said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Isn't that good? I love that. I mean, you can Google that phrase and come up with it and, and see what he said. That's my hope and prayer for us, ranches, is that we would learn to look for ways of goodness, to lighten loads, not add to people's loads. And that's a challenge to do sometimes. But I think uh, the lesson of Pentecost is that God's spirit is always with us, waiting to help us uh, and act with us and through us. I read a story this week of Dr. Gloria Wilder. She's a pediatrician who for many years has been providing health care in Washington, D.C., in some of the poorest neighborhoods. She drives this bright blue van around town, literally into what might be considered the urban war zones on the southeast side of D.C., with high rates of crime, teenage pregnancy, infant mortality. Um, violence has even broken up in some of her medical sessions. A drug-addicted mother once pulled a knife on her. She's witnessed a murder but she walks into public housing units with no security, armed only with a stethoscope and sometimes a baby scale. Ask if she was afraid. She said, no, inner city poverty and desperation has been my life. Raised in the poor slums of Brooklyn, New York, she was a patient in this city's free clinics, which inspired her early in life to pursue a career in healthcare. And though some of the doctors and nurses growing up, she said, were kind, she felt like the whole system was designed to humiliate people like her and her mom, who couldn't afford to pay for treatment. It was in church when she first heard a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, of all forms of injustice, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. It was as if a fire began to burn within her and her calling was born. One of the most powerful lessons Gloria ever learned was a day her mother gave her a hundred pennies, uh, which was all they had, and told her to go to the local grocery store and buy some bologna and bread. So little Gloria as a child was embarrassed and thought other kids might see her hundred pennies and realize how poor she was. So she was so embarrassed. Um, and it, so she got the bologna and got the bread and put it up on the counter. And she, she slowly gave that to the store owner who quickly whisked the pennies off the counter. And then he called out one of the stock boys and he said, hey, put together a big bag full of growth groceries. Put some peaches in there for, for her and her mom. And she started to leave the store and he said, Gloria, wait a, wait a minute. You forgot your change. And he gave her back a quarter and then said to her, keep the faith, child. Keep the faith. And today, Dr. Gloria is saving countless lives and bringing hope to a new generation of kids trying to break out of poverty because sometimes God shows up in the strangest ways at just the right time. And that's the lesson of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming to us and the gift we get. And that's kind of the promise that we get to live with today, right? To be people who act with the Holy Spirit helping us to figure out how to bring goodness with all the opportunities we have around us today. God, help us um, 
to be people of goodness, to be a church of Tov, to be able to know how to listen, how to hear, how to be patient, how to meet a need. So many of us have huge needs in our own lives as well. And uh, I just pray that you would be with each one of us as we are surrounded by needs and people and things that um, are just going to give us hundreds of opportunities in the days ahead. And I pray we'd be encouraged today because many of us are still carrying loads. We're carrying loads that feel burdensome as well. And we need others to help us carry that. So I pray for branches as a church that you would just empower this church to carry each other's loads in ways um, that could be mutually supportive. Thanks for the way we see your presence in our lives. Thanks for Pentecost Sunday, the time when we celebrate the Holy Spirit's coming. In Jesus' name, amen.